had a couple experiences this week that were quite different and also quite the same. There was one morning when I woke up about 20 minutes before my alarm and I felt so rested. It's like, oh my goodness, I got like nine hours of sleep last night. It was amazing. And so then I just laid there in bed waiting for my alarm to go off. And it was such a like a breath of fresh air, like, ah, it's wonderful. And then there was another morning in which I hadn't slept very well. And I woke up multiple times in the night. And then I woke up again. My alarm goes off at six and I woke up in the five o'clock hour before my alarm and I couldn't go back to sleep. And I was exhausted. I'm like, oh, I'm laying, I hate laying here just waiting for that alarm to go off. And I was thinking back on the day that I had felt so rested. It's so funny when you think about waiting, it really depends on the situation, what it feels like. When are you waiting? What are you waiting for? I think of kids watching a dessert bake, you know, turning on the oven light and their little faces right there at the oven watching the cookies bake or watching the cake bake. And there's just so much excitement for that kind of waiting. And then I also think of sitting in the doctor's office, just waiting, waiting, worried about being around sick people, you know? Like those experiences of waiting can feel so different. But in general, I think it's safe to say that we're not very good at waiting. We want what we want, and we want it now, and we want it when we want it, right? And so waiting is something that I am working on getting better at. Today, as, as we've been talking about, is the first Sunday of Advent, and I don't know what what traditions you come from. Some of us come from traditions where we've practiced Advent and we we celebrated Advent, we talked about it. Others of us come from traditions where we really didn't. And so Advent is the first four Sundays um, leading up to Christmas. And on those, it's a whole season before um, Christmas. And Advent actually means coming. In Latin, it means the coming, and it's waiting the arrival of Jesus. It's a season of waiting and a season of preparation for the coming of Jesus. And so I remember when I was first learning about Advent, I was thinking, so we just supposed to pretend that you know, it's 2,000 years ago and Jesus hasn't come yet? Like, what, what is this Advent thing all about? And no, it's not about pretending, but rather it's about actively waiting, anticipating our celebration of Jesus' birth at Christmas, actively waiting and anticipating Jesus' second coming, and actively waiting and anticipating Jesus coming here and now, his kingdom on earth. And so for the next four weeks, we'll be talking about Advent and we'll be talking about the themes of hope, peace, joy, and love. And today we're talking about hope. Um, also, it's interesting, Advent, uh, an interesting fact about Advent is it's the beginning of the church calendar year. And so when I think of the new year, I think of staying up till midnight on New Year's Eve and, you know, a big party and a big celebration. And actually, the beginning of the church calendar year is is a season of waiting, a season of preparation 
which I find really intriguing uh, and thought-provoking to think about that. And because we live in the Northern Hemisphere, it's also a dark season. It's also a cold season. And many of us may just want to skip right on ahead to Christmas, skip right on ahead to the, the party and the, and the celebration, the festivities. But I think there's much to be learned and experienced in this season of Advent. And spoiler alert, it probably won't have a whole lot to do with long wish lists and frantic shopping, <laughs> which is also something that fills our time this time of year. So today we're going to look at the experience of Mary waiting for the first coming of Jesus. And I think as we, as we look into her experiences, I'm hoping to, it'll give us some insights on our Advent journey for this season. And so we're going to pick up the story right after the Israelite people have been waiting for hundreds and hundreds of years for the Messiah, for the Savior, for the promised one from the line of David who would reign forever. Um, and who would sit on the throne and rescue his people. So we're going to start reading today in Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent an angel, Gabriel, to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great. And will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. The Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. What a story. Sometimes these stories that we read are so familiar that they lose their impact. But I want us to really think about what's happening here. We have a Middle Eastern teenage girl in a rural village in northern Israel from Nazareth. No, no fancy place. There's nothing super significant about this little place. And an angel appears to this girl with this magnificent greeting. A greeting that's for someone who is honored, someone who's really important. And he appears and he greets her. You who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. 
And I picture her face. I wish we had more details um, in, in this story, but I picture her face, her eyes growing as large as saucers as she hears this and she's in shock and she's surprised and she's fearful. I think it's understated here when the, the author writes, Mary was greatly troubled at the words. I mean, can you imagine the emotions going on right now? And this angel makes this grand, life-changing revelation, this pronouncement that she will become pregnant with the Son of the Most High God, the one that they've been waiting for, the one from the line of David who would reign on the throne forever. And Mary, understandably so, asks for clarification of how this is going to happen completely not what she was expecting, completely not the norm, something that is impossible by human terms. And the angel clarifies that this would happen through the power of the Holy Spirit, that God, the creator, would make this happen. And I find it interesting, the angel also includes this little tidbit, which I think is very important, and and he tells her about Elizabeth, her relative, who is also expecting a a miracle of her own. And I think this is a real gift to Mary, a gift of someone who's in a similar situation, a gift of a companion in this. And Mary's response in verse 38, she says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. And we see after her, her questions, after she's had a tiny bit of time to process, she surrenders to this outrageous plan of God. She surrenders and she trusts in the middle of her shock, in the middle of her surprise, in the middle of the, the unknown. And so it happens that this young, unmarried teenage girl from a little-known town would carry the creator of the universe and the savior of humanity in her womb. We continue the story in verse 39. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, "'Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you bear.'" But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come see me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the, the Lord will fulfill his promises to her. You know, we're not told in the story why Mary packed her bags immediately and went to Elizabeth's. But I can imagine at least some of the reason, was that her pregnancy would have been quite alarming and quite scandalous at that time. You see, in that culture, whole families and whole communities were involved in the process of two people becoming engaged. There were arranged marriages, and there was a whole lot of conversation, and everyone knew what was happening. And so everyone knew their status as engaged and her pregnancy would have been quite scandalous. So maybe Mary wanted to get away for a little while and lay low. (laughs) I would want to, if that had been me, (laughs) I would want to lay low. 
But I also can't help to think that the angel's words influenced this decision a bit, that she wasn't the only one expecting a miraculous pregnancy. The circumstances were quite different between her and Elizabeth, but she wasn't the only one shocked by this or surprised by a baby growing inside of her, a baby who'd been announced by an angel who had come with a special purpose. She had a friend, a companion on this journey. And so as she enters the home of Elizabeth, Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. And Elizabeth already knows that Mary is pregnant with the Messiah. And John, the little baby in her womb, leaps for joy, is what we're told. And Elizabeth's word, blessed is she who has believed that the Lord will fulfill his promises to her. I think that's a lovely definition of hope. To believe that the Lord will fulfill his promises. To hope the expectation that God would do what God says God would do. However out there the plan is, however impossible it may seem, You know, we're not told much of their time together, but I can imagine um, what it was like for them sharing in this experience. We're not told much of what they did, but Luke felt that it was important to include one of Mary's prayers. So this will be the last section that we read. It's called Mary's Song. Verse 46, and Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and to his descendants forever, just as he promised to our ancestors." Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. You know, the thing about pregnancy is you're forced to wait. (laughs) There's no rushing the process of pregnancy. It's a nine-month process. And this was one of the prayers, one of the songs that Mary prayed and sang while she waited She rejoiced and praised God. She acknowledged her humble state and how God works through the humble. She glorified God for fulfilling his promise, his promise to Israel. I think prayer is a really big part of waiting and especially waiting with hope. We acknowledge who God is. We yield ourselves to God's plan and the spirit of God works within us as we pray. My guess, and, and this is a guess, this is speculation, but my guess is this, these aren't the first words that Mary uttered in prayer to God. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine these being the, the very first things that Mary said to God when she found out that she was pregnant? 
my guess is there was a whole lot of questions for God, a whole lot of challenging emotional conversations to navigate with her people as she processed all the shock and the strong emotion. But it's clear from the story that Mary kept herself open to God. And these are the words that eventually flowed out of her. And this is a work of the Spirit. These are the words of, of the Spirit within her to reveal to her what God was doing in the midst of the chaos that she found herself in. And she stayed with Elizabeth for about three months until it was about time for Elizabeth to give birth. And and like expecting women all over the world, I imagine there were a whole lot of conversations about pregnancy, a whole lot of conversations about uh, changing bodies and new sensations and what birth would be like. I love that she had a companion in Elizabeth. Waiting is so much easier if you have a friend waiting with you. And I think that's a really important lesson for us as a community. When I look at this story, when I look at the, at the uh, Luke chapter one that we've been reading, one of the things that really stands out to me is that the creator God chose to become human, that God chose incarnation And I think this is theologically so rich and so beautiful, God coming near to be in relationship, Emmanuel, God with us. Today, I want to focus a little bit more on the how of this incarnation, that God would choose to grow in the womb of an unmarried teenage girl from an out-of-the-way little place. A woman and a place society would probably have deemed pretty insignificant at that time. You know, historically, women's bodies have been deemed as less than, have been thought of as weaker, have been used and objectified and shamed in many places. And I think it's really significant that Jesus chose to come into the world through the body of this young teenager. That Jesus chose the human process of pregnancy and birth, complete with all the accompanying nausea and fatigue and heartburn and waking up in the middle of the night to pee a thousand times, like all that. That that's how Jesus chose to come into the world. All those very normal, ordinary experiences related to pregnancy are a part of the incarnation, a part of how Jesus was born into this world. There's a book that I've um, enjoyed reading uh, this year and last year, too. It's called Honest Advent by Scott Erickson. I think we have a picture of it. And I've shared some of Scott Erickson's work before. He's one of my favorite um, artists. He, his, his art is very simple and yet super thought-provoking. In this Advent book, he speaks of how the nativity story and and this the the whole birth story of Jesus is romanticized and sanitized as we tell the story, and that we take away the nitty-gritty, unpleasant human parts of the story. 
And I like this Advent devotional because he has devotions in it, so he has um, his thoughts written down, but also he, he has some artistic depictions of, of the scenes. And his intention is to describe how God moves in the messy details of our human experiences. That God moves in the messy details of our human experiences. And this really made me think a lot this week about how the sacred exists in the ordinary. How the sacred exists in the ordinary. Often we have this dualistic thinking that certain things and certain experiences are holy and sacred and other experiences, well, they're just not. You know, things like when I bow in my head in prayer, well, that's holy. But what about when I have to do the dishes? <laughs> Pull the laundry. Coming to church is one thing, but what about going to the grocery store or going to work? And I love this concept that Jesus chose to enter into the ordinary to become human and that God moves and works in all the experiences of human life, the sacred in the ordinary. Mary had to wait had to wait the duration of her pregnancy to give birth to Jesus. And as I look, think about her story of waiting, I imagine this big revelation. I imagine the, the big reveal, the upheaval that that must have been in her life, the big scandal. And then she just had to wait for nine months, waiting in the midst of people doubting her, in the midst of the nausea and the body aches, in the midst of not knowing how her life would turn out. In Mary, we see someone who waits with hope. We see someone actively waiting and expecting the Lord to act. We see someone trusting and believing that God will do a good work. Even when it's hard to see, even when it seems impossible, even when we don't see what God is doing, Mary trusts and believes that God will fulfill his promises. And she's watching intently to catch, his, to catch glimpses of what God is doing. This is what it means to wait with hope. So today we are invited in this first week of Advent to begin this season of waiting begin this season of preparation. And we wait with hope for the coming of Jesus. And we're invited to be attentive, to be alert, to pay attention to what God might be doing in our lives, in our families, and in our communities. We're invited to be prayerful as we wait, to listen to what God might be saying, and to participate where we see God working, to join God in that, and to trust that God will fulfill his promises even when we are surrounded by the unknown, even when we don't know what God is doing and can't see it. We're invited to actively wait with hope on the coming of Jesus, and we're invited to look for the sacred in the ordinary, to look for ways in which the divine is moving in our very normal, very human, very ordinary lives. Because when we see where God is working, we can pay attention to that and we can join God, participate in what God is doing. Today, as, as we conclude, I, I would like us to take communion together.
And in communion, we remember and acknowledge that Jesus, the Son of God, became human. He was born. <laughs> we acknowledge that, that Jesus showed us what it truly looks like to follow God, to live a life of love and strength, a life of justice and compassion. And we remember and we acknowledge that Jesus took on humanity's sin and shame in his death on the cross, and then he rose again, giving everyone who believes in him a new life with a living hope. So communion for us is this symbolic meal to remember Jesus' death. The cracker represents his body, the blood, uh, the juice, his blood. And so we're going to be taking that communion together. And we're going to do a little bit differently uh, today. We have communion set up in the center and in the back aisles. And in just a moment, um, we'll, I'll invite everyone to go and grab those elements to take the cracker and the juice and just hold on to it and bring it back to your seats. And we're going to have, it's going to take probably a couple minutes and we're we're not going to play some music. We're just going to have some quiet and we're going to practice waiting. <laughs> We're going to practice waiting for a few minutes here as everyone gathers um, those elements, and then we'll come back together and we'll take those, we'll receive communion together. So um, let me pray, and then we'll do that. Lord, we thank you. Thank you for sending Jesus. We thank you for the incarnation. We thank you that you were born. (laughs) Lord, we thank you that you call us to know you. And Lord, as we prepare ourselves to remember your death and your resurrection, we acknowledge that you are the Savior and the Messiah. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I want to close this out today with a prayer written by Carol Dixon. It's called Waiting. God, we are waiting, waiting for your coming into our lives. God, we are expecting, hoping to see you at work in this world. Give us patience to keep on waiting, hoping, and working for the coming of your kingdom through Jesus, our Lord. Born as a baby in Bethlehem, living, dying, rising, reigning with you and the Holy Spirit. Bring us life and love and peace this day and every day to the end of time. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.